You're listening to Scran, the podcast that champions Scottish food and drink. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and this week we are partnered with the Glasgow Distillery Company to mark the launch of their new blended malt whisky, Malt Riot. I jumped on a call with brand development manager at the Glasgow Distillery Company, Emily Coyle, who tells us about the Glasgow Distillery's latest whisky release, Malt Riot Blended Scotch Malt Whisky. Malt Riot is a blend of single malts from across Scotland, with the distillery's award-winning Glasgow 1770 single malt at the heart of its spirit. The name derives from the 1725 malt tax riots which started in Glasgow and spread across the country. An unforeseen but highly fortunate outcome of the riots was the introduction of malt barley production on the islands of Isla and Jura, which in turn kick-started the malt whisk industry which we know and love today. Emily tells us more about this. Also on the call is Nori Wilson, founder of Lost Glasgow, a Facebook page with a global following that shares tales of Glasgow's colourful and diverse history. Noddy shares his amazing stories of Glasgow around the birth of the city's whisky trade. Expect vigilantes, whippings and why Glasgow's women are tougher than the men. Today I'm joined by Emily and Noddy. Emily works for the Glasgow Distillery Company and Noddy is the founder of Lost Glasgow and knows all there is to know about the city. So hi Emily and Noddy, how are you both? Hi. Very well, thanks. Good, thank you. Just to, to kick off, we're going to have a bit of a chat today about a Glasgow Distillery Company, your new launch, all things whisky and history in Glasgow. So Emily, could you just kick off by telling me about your role at the Glasgow Distillery? Yeah, of course. So hi, I'm Emily. I have been working with the Glasgow Distillery for about three years now. I'm the brand development manager. So it's my role to kind of ensure that all of our brands are well represented throughout Glasgow specifically, but kind of Scotland wider terms as well. This used to involve working predominantly with the on-trade, kind of organising promotions and events and tastings. But obviously today's climate doesn't really allow for that because hard enough having fewer people in your pubs without me being one of them. So we've kind of adapted my role. So I'm now doing a lot more kind of virtual tastings online. We've just built a new tasting room within the distillery. So my role's kind of been shifted slightly, which obviously I'm really lucky that we've been able to do that. So yeah, it was on-trade brand development. It's now kind of virtual brand development, I suppose. And Nori, one of the one of the things my understanding of like brand and brand ambassadors and all that kind of thing is telling the stories um, and getting the sort of history and story of um, different distilleries out there. What would you say is important about stories to the whisky industry? It's one of those classic things. Anytime that anyone starts drinking whisky, stories start and legends begin. And Scotland has a remarkable history in that, particularly within the whisky industry. Some of the biggest brands in the world, Johnny Walker, Tommy Dewar, I mean, the sort of the early branding of whiskey, the global branding of whiskey is yeah, very much a Scottish story. And it ties into two very important events in sort of world drinking history. In the 1800s, you had the phylloxera epidemic in France, which destroyed practically every grapevine in France, which meant that brandy production had to halt as well. And of course, the Scots merchants immediately moved into Europe and said, well, if you're looking for something a bit strong, try our whiskey. And then again, in the early 1900s, when America introduced prohibition, uh, the US gangsters first came over to Ireland and said, could you supply us with whiskey? And of course, the Irish being good God-fearing folks said, God, no, we'd be breaking the law. So the, the gangsters came over to Scotland and said, to the, the main distillers, could you supply us? And they said, aye, how many thousands of crates would you like? And thousands of crates of branded Scotch whiskey went into Canada 
uh, and the British islands in the Caribbean and then were smuggled surreptitiously over the border from Canada and in fast cutters up to Florida to, to keep America in good whiskey during the Prohibition years. And that story of branding, I mean, Johnny Walker, the case in point, you know, probably the most famous whiskey brand in the world. Johnny Walker was a real guy, but he was a Kilmarnock merchant uh, who started out with the, the famous Kilmarnock brand and then decided to put his own name on it. It's early personal branding. And the remarkable thing is, despite the fact that Johnny Walker is such a stiller, such a, a global name in whiskey, Johnny Walker himself was completely teetotal and didn't drink at all. So I didn't know that. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wonder if he looked the way he did in his uh, silhouette in the bottle. I'm pretty sure he probably did. Yeah. Uh, because you know, it was all about, as again, you, you think of modern marketing, whether it's David Beckham or equally famous sports or pop personalities, when they put their name to a brand, it's all about their personal brand. And that's what Johnny Walker was doing back in the day as well. Which kind of takes us on to the new launch from the Glasgow Distillery, which is Malt Riot, which is uh, looks very modern, but actually has been, has been inspired by sort of past events. So Emily, can you tell us a bit more about the Malt Riot and uh, the story that inspired the name? Yeah, of course. It's actually it's a really it's a really great story of kind of Glasgow coming together again and standing up for what they believe in. So it was like it was back in 1725 and the government were trying to impose a tax on Scotland's malted barley, um, which would ultimately lead to an increase in costs of all sorts of daily essentials. So Glasgow decided to rise up kind of in opposition and the malt stores were all barricaded and the tax men were literally chased from the city. They didn't stop there. Um, they also kind of destroyed by fire the local MP's home. He was a tax man imposing the tax as, at the time. Um, so ultimately they ended up with a £10,000 bill to compensate this MP, which he then took and used to buy Isla Jura, where he then encouraged local farmers to seed surplus barley, which kind of ignited the legal production of Scotch whisky in, its, in itself. So it's quite a cool, not rebel, it's kind of like a kind of menacing story of just Glasgow kind of coming together and being like wait a second this isn't <laughs> this isn't going to work for us and uh, and and henceforth Scotch whiskey was born and which yeah which is is great imagine that amount of money being able to buy 10,000 pounds in 1725 though I don't even <laughs> want to think about what that is today well I, I must I must admit I, I ran the figure through a, a sort of calculator today and it's over a billion pounds oh really it's over a billion pounds in today's money Oh, wow. And, and Glasgow basically had to cough up for that. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't London that coughed up for that. And I mean, the story of the malt riot itself, the malt riots weren't just confined to Glasgow. There was malt riots across Scotland uh, in opposition to the, the imposition of what was seen as an English tax. Yeah. Because the main thing was it increased the price of beer. And back then, in those days, before Glasgow had its clean water supply from Loch Katrin, everybody drank beer with every meal because it was safer than drinking the water. Even children would drink beer. That's where we get the term small beer from. A drop of small, small ale, which would just be about 1% or 2% proof, but your children as young as 5 or 6 would drink that with their breakfast, dinner and tea because it was safer than drinking the water. So any increase in the price of beer, it affected everyone in Glasgow because everyone drank gallons of the stuff. That leads me on very well to um, the Glasgow spirit. 
And the marketing for Malt Riot says it's reflective of the Glasgow spirit. Emily, how would you define the character of the city and Nori? What would be your thoughts on that? Well, the way so the way I look at it, like Glasgow is very much ingrained in all of our spirits. They're kind of made in Glasgow, but to be shared with everyone. So obviously there's the 1770 range that's named after the very first Glasgow distillery in 1770. Whereas Malt Riot, for me, it's kind of like the, the cheeky wee brother of 1770. They kind of both they both share the, the story of birth in Glasgow, but 1770's got more of a sophistication about it, whereas Malt Riot's like a little lighter. It plays more on the kind of rogue, cheeky, menacing side of the city. So it is like we, we liken all of our spirits to various aspects of Glasgow. Um, but for me, it's kind of it's it's playing on that kind of cheeky, jovial side. Um, and Nori, what, what factors would you say have contributed to the development of the Glasgow character, which we now know as people make Glasgow. <laughs> uh, it's it's one of these strange things because historically, yeah, until the sort of seventeen hundreds, Glasgow was actually a pretty small place, and it's it's quite telling because the the introduction of the malt tax in seventeen twenty five really is it's a follow on from the the union of the parliaments in seventeen o seven, and Glasgow, the ordinary people of Glasgow, the ordinary people of Scotland, had been very against the union of the parliaments. But the merchants in Glasgow, the wealthy merchants, they were all in favour of it because it immediately opened up access to English ports in America and the West Indies. Uh, and they saw that this would help build the, the trade of Clydeside because Glasgow being in the, the west coast of Scotland, we had a head start with the trade winds over ports down south. We certainly had a head start over London. We could get to and from the Americas quicker than any English ships. And that was really the birth of the Clyde as this basic sort of information superhighway and Glasgow's sort of gateway to the world. And then when you turn that to whiskey, you think of the, the West Highland Way, whereas today it's, it's full of hikers and fancy boots and bright coloured jackets. Going back to the, the old days, the West Highland Way was another information superhighway because you had all these Highlanders bringing their cattle down to market in Glasgow. And they didn't just bring cattle, they'd bring their home distilled whiskey, they'd bring anything that they could sell at market in Glasgow. And while this trickle of Highland whiskey was coming down to Glasgow, once they'd sold up in Glasgow, then they'd go back up the West Highland Way with their pockets full of gold and all the news of the big city. And every time they came down, well, some of these Highlanders would just stay in Glasgow. And that's part of the Glasgow character very much so. Glasgow's always been a city of incomers, whether it was the landless gale, the starving Irish, lowland Scots being drawn into Glasgow industry. If you had the choice between working in a muddy field for 12 hours for not much money or working in a factory, even though it might have been pretty miserable, but for a regular wage, that's how Glasgow grew. It sucked in people from all across Scotland. And that's very much part of the Glasgow character. The, the mix of the Irish, the Gaelic, the Lowland. It's that, it's always been a melting pot city. It's always been a city of incomers. Which is uh, a bit like a, sorry, this is a terrible way to, to go back, but it's almost like blending a Maltese whiskey in the amount of I people. Knew that's really that. It's a very good <laughs> analogy. It's a very good analogy because you, you, take the, you take the best of what you got and you stir it together and you come up with something better. And that's exactly what we've done with the Malt Riot is obviously we've started in Glasgow with our 1770 and we've kind of engaged the rest of Scotland and all the other whiskey regions and adding a kind of bit of each of them so it's like the heart of the liquid's still 
our Glasgow spirit, but there's influences from all over Scotland that's kind of blended into it. Nice. And how would you suggest um, that malt rye is best enjoyed? Well, I was thinking about this quite a lot um, because obviously we don't, I don't like to isolate any consumer. I think everyone should just drink what they want, how they want to. Um, but in terms of a kind of consumer focus for malt rye, it, it works really well with a ginger beer or in a whiskey sour loads of different whiskey cocktails it's been one of my favorite things to kind of try and sell into the bars because like bars bartenders and mixologists at the moment they're so like they're constantly developing all sorts of crazy new ideas and they're amazing and I feel like 1770 doesn't we don't really tend to do that with with our single malt but now that we've got a blended whiskey it's really quite exciting to get involved with lots of different cocktails and things like that so just on its own, fine, but with a bit of ginger beer, it's also like it's a re- it really works well. But as a whiskey sour, it's also excellent. That's the serve that I'm trying to push. Um, so as a slightly younger demographic, your average kind of blended whiskey drinker, if you will, it's also quite we've found that it's more kind of likely to be enjoyed by bourbon drinkers than whiskey drinkers, which has actually worked out really well because it obviously recruits an entire new drinking like drinker category. Um, so we are kind of we're not excluding anyone everyone can enjoy it it works in so many different ways but it it does at this point it's looking like it's kind of going to be more enjoyed by what would be a bourbon drinker and just to go back to the historical element nori what events from glasgow's history would you say have shown the character of its people which is obviously the story kind of behind malt riot it's a strange one i was i was thinking about that and two sort of things that I would highlight that are really sort of intertwined uh, would be the the rent strikes during the First World War, leading through to the, the Battle of George Square in 1919, when the army was brought in to subdue the city, much as they had been in 1725 after the malt riots. And you think back to the, the First World War, and practically every able-bodied man in Glasgow is either off fighting or working 12-hour shifts in the shift yard, in the shipyards, in the munitions factories, as are an awful lot of Glasgow women. Again, it was the First World War was one of these events that drew tens of thousands of new Glaswegians into the city from the countryside to work in the, the war industries. And at the same time, you have the, the landlords in Glasgow realising that they can put up rents uh, almost willy-nilly and if folk can't afford to pay the rent well they basically just get put out onto the street and often this was working women whose husbands or brothers or fathers were away fighting for their country so the women got together uh, and basically formed themselves into what was called Mary Barber's army Mary Barber the the leader of the government rent strikes and the women of the city basically formed themselves into almost vigilante groups and every street that was threatened with an eviction, the women would have their pots and pans ready. And as soon as they saw the the rent men coming to evict somebody, they'd start banging their pots and pans to alert the whole street. And the women would block the close mouth. They'd block the entrance to the close. And there's tales of the the rent men and the sheriff's men basically getting bombarded with flower bombs, soup bombs, and bombs containing considerably worse than that. Uh, and also getting chased through the back closes and getting debagged, getting their trousers removed by gangs of women and getting sent running back up the street in their long johns. I mean, as they always say, if you think Glasgow men are hard, wait until you meet their mammies. <laughs> uh, and it's very much the case that the women in Glasgow are a lot tougher than you give them credit for because the women in Glasgow are the ones that have had to run the home 
I'm of a generation, I'm still old enough to remember if you went down the Govan Road on a Friday night when the shipyards were coming out and the men had their brown wage packets, there'd be gangs of women waiting at the gate <laughs> to take the money off the men and give them a wee bit of pocket money so that they could go to the pub so they didn't go and spend the whole week's wages in the pub. The women, you know, they were the ones that ran the bank accounts and looked after the house and made sure the children were fed and watered. And again, that works through to the riot in George Square in 1919, and everyone always assumes that it was you know, a demonstration for higher wages or something. It wasn't. It was a demonstration by the working folk of Glasgow and the returning soldiers for a, a reduction in the working hours so that more of the returning soldiers could get back into a job so that we could, we could share the pain, as it were. They weren't asking for more money. They were asking for a, a cut in the working week so the employers would have to take on more workers, most of them returning soldiers. So it's that sort of share and share alike. There's a great innate sense of fairness in Glasgow, and if we see something that we think is unfair, we'll speak up for it. I love that. That's so heartwarming. <laughs> I love these stories. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think there's still that kind of attitude today? I think so. I mean, it I hope so. I think it's it's been slightly subdued by the current conditions that we've been living under the last six months because Glasgow is very much a, a sociable city. It's a city where we like to get together, whether that's over a dram or over a pint or whatever. As much as the current COVID has brought out the worst in some people, it's brought out the very best in other bits of community. You know, whether we're out clapping for the NHS or making sure that our neighbor, our elderly neighbours are okay or doing the shopping for somebody or just, just checking that folk are all right. Particularly you know, in the tenements of Glasgow where folk don't have a back garden to escape to or anything. I know from my own experience of friends that are tenement bound, you know, closies are still looking out for each other, keeping an eye on each other. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's been a bit like that here. I'm not in a tenement, but a block of flats, so it's been... It's been nice. So just to, sorry, just to get back to the whiskey, Emily, could you uh, give us a sort of quick audio tasting of malt riot? What can people expect yeah. when they go out and buy a jam? I always find these things quite weird to do on <laughs> audio or, or when I'm on video because I'm like, I, I don't know. I feel like I don't like to just read stuff. So I did actually pour myself one to obviously for professional purposes. Obviously. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Because um, I don't like to just say, oh, you should smell this. Like, I like to actually smell it and describe it um, to people whilst, whilst we're doing it. And I am very much at the start of my, like, I've been with the Glasgow Distillery for three years, like I said. But we've only been, I've only been selling the whiskey for one and a half of those. So I am still at the start of kind of training my whiskey palate, as it were, and training to do the tastings and things like that. So I'm definitely much further on than I was. But I, I, as far as I'm concerned, there's no real right or wrong answers when it comes to nosing and tasting and like what you get on the finish um, but don't get me wrong whenever I do smell or taste something that I'm being told I'm supposed to there is that wee element of excitement still there for me <laughs> like yes I do get that I can smell vanilla so on the nose with them um, with malt riot speaking of vanilla it is a very sweet floral nose it's, it's got some really nice delicate flavors to it I'm not going to drink it as such but I, I do have it in front of me to kind of to smell and work with it. the palettes it's a much more kind of the sweetness still coming through, but it's also quite spicy. So it's like a toffee apple kind of caramelized pineapple kind of sweetness. So it's still got that lovely, yeah, kind of florally light sweetness to it. But then on the on the finish, you've got a really nice smooth kind of almost chocolatey nutty finish. So it's kind of starts light and sweet, gets a bit deeper and spicier, and then finishes off really smooth. The color of it is quite um it's quite a pale 
blend to look at, but then the taste is actually quite complex, but it's it's not overpowering. It's a really excellent um, start for us. We're really proud of it. And it's it's one of the distiller's favourites as well, um, out of the lot of them. So that's quite, um, I'm quite impressed with that. Well, sounds good. Definitely, definitely making me want to try some. My job here is done. <laughs> <laughs> we would like to thank the Glasgow Distillery for partnering with us on this episode. Don't forget to make use of their exclusive offer for Scram podcast listeners. Use offer code SCRAN, which is S-C-R-A-N, at www.glasgodistillery.com to get £5 off your bottle of malt rye blended malt scotch whiskey. And is it available just now to buy as a it bottle? Is, yeah, so we launched it. It is available in, well, all of kind of those kind of spirit shops in Glasgow, like your your good spirits and, and things like that you can you can pick it up there you can also get it in a couple of more niche supermarkets but in bars and stuff that's what I'm working on at the moment and I've been working quite close with a couple of bars that are going to be doing some nice malt riot cocktails kind of over the festive period and particularly um, bad I'm working with them just now to come up with some ideas to because they are going to be opening a pretty cool bottle shop in, in the coming weeks and we're going to be featuring there and they're going to be doing some cool cocktails in their spirit bar as well and we do have an autumn sale at the moment on our website which will obviously be changing things up for Christmas quite soon so the autumn sales just launched on the website just now and um, we've, we're hosting our first virtual tastings so on the first so yeah so last night in terms of when this is going out you can virtually come and drink with me in the tasting room and then head over to the website to buy it so that's the, so the first one's first of October yeah yeah. Nori, have you been doing many uh, online uh, drinks tastings or have you just been doing online sort of historical things? I, I it's, that, it's that strange thing. So I'm, I am very much a, 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 cre- a creature of the pub, should we say. <laughs> uh, so I've really, been, I've really been missing the pub during lockdown. Uh, and what, yeah, what, what's planned is a nice couple of quiet pints ends up as yeah, one of those great Glasgow nights where you end up four hours later in somebody's house that you've <laughs> never met before. <laughs> Uh, drinking whiskey into the wee small hours. Yeah, miss that. Although I, I believe I believe in when a, a promise from the Glasgow Distillery, we're doing a, a giveaway in Lost Glasgow Listen, for a few a few Nori, bottles. After your stories, I'm happy to go to the pub whenever you want. <laughs> I'd love to have a jam with you. I, th- I, th- I, think, I, think, I think there's a bottle winging its way to me out of that. So I'm, I'm looking <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting a taste. I must admit, the last couple of nights I was I was finishing off a bottle of Eilie, a nice bottle of Bunavon. Nice. Because some some of the Eilies I find it a bit a bit strong for me, a bit too iodine for me. They're very much a grown up whiskey, <laughs> and I don't like to think of myself as, as being too grown up yet. But no, I'm very very fond of a Bunavon, and I, I discovered I was cleaning out the drinks cabinet and found about a quarter of a bottle hiding in at the back. So that's been my partnership yeah, dram for the last few nights. Yeah, no, it does sound really good. It sounds exactly what you need at this time of the year because it's getting cold. Getting that cold. I was going to say it's getting that cold way where you want to just sit and have a nice jam with a fire on somewhere. I was going to say if you're not into the Eile peats too much, the our 1770 peated, we're using heather-based peat, so it's a much mm-hmm. sweeter flavour to it. So it doesn't have that kind of almost medicinal taste. It's got a much kind of nice, sweeter flavour to the peat. So I'll need to make sure one of them's Winging oh, its excellent. way to you as well. Excellent. There you go. That's good. <laughs> oh, we won't leave you out. Don't worry. <laughs> you have to remember that before sort of legally sanctioned distilling began in Scotland, distilling was very much, if you ever watch Breaking Bad, I mean, distilling was to an extent a bit like mobile meth labs. 
because it was so easy to do. And in you know, particularly in Glasgow, to the, the north of the city in the Campsie Fells and to the south of the city in the Moors, folk would set up illicit distills left, right and centre. And you know, So long as you had access to, to good, clean water, you could distill pretty much anywhere and then bring it into the city and not pay any tax on it. So as I say, it was a bit, a bit like Breaking Bad. You know, they had small-scale stills that they could break down and move at the first sign of the excise man, hide it all away, stick it in the back of a cart, move it five miles down the road and just set up again. Because back then, Glasgow wasn't really a whiskey-drinking city. Glasgow, and it's a lot of folk find it quite surprising, Glasgow was very much a rum city because of Scotland's connections with the Americas and particularly the Caribbean. The wealthy merchants of Glasgow were either importing their own Jamaican rum and their own limes, and they weren't drinking it straight. Glasgow was very much famous for what was called the Glasgow Punch, uh, which was rum in winter mixed with warm water, lime juice and sugar, and in summer mixed with cold water, lime juice and sugar. And that's what the, the fancy Dan's in Glasgow drank, because it was a, a sign of great wealth if you could drink rum. And Glasgow actually had rum distilleries before it had whiskey distilleries because the, the great sugar houses of Glasgow, it's why there's still sugar refining down at Greenock. But when they used to bring sugar cane into up the Clyde, well, when you, when you make white sugar, the leftover sediment is molasses. And what do you do with molasses? You distill it and make rum. Uh, and there were four or five or even more sugar houses in operation in Glasgow in the 1700s. And as a sideline, they were all distilling rum. So before Glasgow was a whiskey drinking city, it was really a rum drinking city. And you guys have got our rum as well, don't you? We do. Ours is made from, it's made from first place sugar cane itself. So it's not made from molasses. So we're actually outsourcing the base spirit and then aging and spicing it in the distillery. And I've got that one and I know it's really good with apple juice. <laughs> honestly, it's the perfect Christmas rum banditti club. Honestly, it's so perfectly spicy, but not, overwhelming and it's got loads of lovely cinnamon flavours it's it's an excellent an excellent one for the next coming months for sure it's really nice actually to see because there's definitely a sort of rum revival going on in glasgow oh 100 because there's you know there's two or three distilleries now producing producing rums in glasgow again and you go over to somewhere like the rum shack over in shawlands which as much mm-hmm. as it's a a west indian yeah themed barn barn club I mean, the the variety of rums they've got in their, their back gantry yeah. is just mind-boggling. The Rum Shack, we're doing a dark and dree instead of a dark and stormy with our <laughs> Banditi Club rum and a Iron Brew, which was an interesting mix, but um, it seemed to go down really well. And I just loved the name. It was so inventive. As I, as I say, it's, it's a strange one because I used to work for 13 years. I worked for DC Thompson's up in Dundee. Right. And Dundee is still very much a rum-drinking city. And I, I couldn't understand it because once I fell in with a gang of Dundee mates, I'd say to them, you're right, you know, I'm in the bell, what, what's the round? And they'd say, right, well, it's you know, four pints of heavy, three pints of lager, five, five dirties <laughs> and two, two dirties with ice. And I'm looking at it going, what the hell's a dirty? <laughs> and a dirty is a dark rum, usually in Dundee, OVD rum and Coke. Right. And it's called a dirty because of the, the sticky residue it leaves in a glass. Right. If you can imagine you know, dark treacly rum mixed with Coca-Cola, once you finish it, you're left with a very dark, sticky glass. 
Mm-hmm. And in, in Dundee, it's called a dirty. Uh, so I'd be going up to the bar, not knowing what I was asking for, saying kind of uh, <laughs> four, four dirties and two dirties with ice. And of course, it's just a rum, it's just a rum and coke. <laughs> mm, funny. Does anyone want to add anything at all? It's probably worth pointing out that after the the troops came into Glasgow, even though we're sort of joking about the, the malt riots, the Glasgow folk, I mean, they, they chased... The, the troops in Glasgow all the way to Dumbarton Castle where they had to basically lock themselves in. And over that chase, the Glasgow population, nine, nine of the pursuing mob were shot dead, 17 were wounded. Uh, the troops lost two soldiers. And after all that was done and dusted, you know, there was a, a full investigation back in Glasgow. The entire, the Lord Provost of Glasgow and all the magistrates were arrested taken to Edinburgh and stuck in prison. Fortunately, they were they were quickly bailed and were welcomed back to Glasgow by a crowd of over 200 and then cheered through the city. Of the original rioters, 19 of the original rioters weren't so lucky. Two of them, a man and a woman, were sentenced to be to petrol banishment from the city. Nine of the rioters were whipped through the streets of Glasgow. That means getting whipped at every gate in the city. 18 lashes at every gate in the city and eight of them got long prison sentences so that apart from Glasgow having to fork out to Campbell for the, the purchase of Eiley and Jura, you know, the ordinary folk of Glasgow also got their, some would say, just desserts, but yeah, certainly we didn't escape scot-free for it. No, definitely not. Thank you, um, Emily and Norrie, for joining me today. It's a really, really interesting chat. Nice to hear more about the history of the city where I live and to find out more about Malt Riot. I need to give it a try. So thank you guys for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Not at all. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks to Emily and Norrie. I really enjoyed that chat. I had no idea Glasgow, the city in which I live, had such a brutal history. But it was also heartwarming to hear tales of community and that people bound together to stop what they felt was wrong, both a long time ago and in the not-so-distant past. I'm not from here, but my mum, gran and aunt are, and I can definitely see in them, especially my gran, the spirit that Nori describes of the women at the time. The mention of cocktails from Emily has got me in the mood for creating some of my own. Next up, I recreate some drinks and cocktails from my home kitchen, the Malt Riot Glasgow Whiskey Sour and the Ginger Riot. After Emily's audio tasting of Glasgow Distillery's Malt Riot, I've decided to make a cocktail and a signature serve that they've sent over to me at home because I quite fancy trying it myself, but also just to sort of showcase how easy it is if you can't get out to a bar just now. Um, So I'm going to make a ginger riot, which is simply a Glasgow distillery malt riot and ginger ale with ice. And then I'm going to make a Glasgow whiskey sour, which is exactly as you'd expect, a whiskey sour with malt riot. So I'm going to start with the the more simpler one first. It is basically 50 mils of malt riot whiskey, topped with ginger ale and finished with a wedge of lime. So you simply fill a highball glass with fresh cubed ice, add 50ml of malt riot, then top that with ginger ale. and then add a wedge of fresh lime to garnish. Cheers. If you fancy something a bit fancier, then you could try the Glasgow Whiskey Sour, which is basically a whiskey sour with malt riot, and the ingredients are 50 mils of malt riot, 25 mils of fresh lemon juice, 
10ml of sugar syrup, which you can make yourself, it's equal parts of sugar and water, kind of boiled down so that it goes nice and clear. 15ml of egg white, which is optional if you're vegan. One level teaspoon of Seville orange marmalade, and it's garnished with an orange slice and a maraschino cherry, which is my favourite garnish because they're really good to eat. Basically, combine all those ingredients into a cocktail shaker, add fresh cubed ice and shake until cool, and strain into an ice-filled rock glass, garnish with a slice of fresh orange and a maraschino cherry. So I'm just going to do that just now. So get your ice into the shaker, add your 50ml of malt riot, your 25ml of fresh lemon juice, Ten ml of sugar syrup, fifteen ml of egg white, and one level teaspoon of Seville orange marmalade. And then you shake that until cold, which is always fun because it makes your hands really cold. freezing and then you pour that into an ice filled rocks glass and garnish with a slice of fresh orange and a maraschino cherry. Cheers! I can vouch that those cocktails were easy to make and totally delicious and I hope you enjoyed that and tried to recreate them at home. Thanks to my guests Emily and Nori and thanks to you for listening to this podcast. If you liked what you've heard, please don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. We would like to thank the Glasgow Distillery Company for partnering with us on this episode. Scran is a logical production and is available wherever you get your podcasts. For immersive and interactive content, please download the NTL app. Scran is presented and co-produced by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Morvan McIntyre.